Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Today is Friday, November 13, 2020. Coming up on Roller Martin Unfiltered, all eyes on Georgia. As this never-ending election continues, we'll give you an update. Donald Trump went before the cameras today for the first time since November 5th. Sound like a complete fool. We'll tell you all about it. A lawsuit has been filed against the two men responsible for the robocalls to, to, to Detroit voters. Yeah, those two uh, crazy rabbit uh, fools, Jack Berkman and Jason Wool. Also, 130 Secret Service agents have tested positive for COVID-19 or, or are in quarantine as numbers continue to rise. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is proposing a new law that will allow citizens to shoot riders and looters. Really? The U.S. Court of Appeals has rejected an affirmative action lawsuit brought by the Trump administration against Harvard. And in our Education Matters segment, look at the benefits of peer-to-peer counseling in high school and college. Plus, 
Remember, former Ghanaian President Jerry Rollins, who passed away on yesterday. It's time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. Folks, uh, if you want to see a full talk, all you got to do is look at the news conference that Donald Trump gave today, folks, uh, where he came out for the cameras uh, talking about, of course, uh, Operation Warp Speed uh, and coronavirus. I mean, sounding like a complete fool. I mean, uh, first of all, again, he's been, you know, for, for somebody who constantly complained about Joe Biden uh, during the election hiding in a basement, well, Trump has been hiding in his own basement, uh, so shell-shocked about uh, him getting his butt beat by Joe Biden. He's been so afraid to talk to the public. Here we are going through a significant coronavirus crisis. And finally, he decides to come out today for a share a few words. Y'all ready for the stupidity? Here we go. It's beautiful out here this time of year. In the past nine months, my administration has initiated the single greatest mobilization in U.S. history, pioneering, developing, and manufacturing therapies and vaccines in record time, uh, numbers like nobody's seen before. No medical breakthrough of this scope and magnitude has ever been achieved this rapidly, this quickly, and we're very proud of it and I had tremendous help from the military, generals, admirals, and many of the great people at the White House. Operation Warp Speed is unequaled and unrivaled anywhere in the world, and leaders of other countries have called me to congratulate us on what we've been able to do, and we've helped many countries with their ventilators and all of the problems they were having, and I'd like to congratulate everyone involved in this effort. It's been an incredible effort. As a result of Operation Warp Speed, Pfizer announced on Monday that its China virus vaccine is more than 90% effective. This far exceeds any and all expectations. Nobody thought they'd get to that level. And we have others coming which we think will be at equal level, maybe more if that's possible. In July, my administration reached an agreement with Pfizer to provide $1.95 billion to support the mass manufacturing and distribution of 100 million doses with the option to purchase a total of 600 million doses shortly thereafter. Our investment will make it possible for the vaccine to be provided by Pfizer free of charge. Pfizer said it wasn't part of warp speed, but that turned out to be a unfortunate misrepresentation. They are part. That's why we gave them the $1.95 billion. And uh, it was an unfortunate mistake that they made when they said that. We will work to secure an emergency use authorization, which should be coming down extremely soon. 
and my administration will then coordinate the distribution of the vaccine, and uh, it will be approved. I think, again, it will be approved very, very quickly, we hope. The average development timeline for the vaccine, including clinical tests and manufacturing, can take 8 to 12 years. Through Operation Warp Speed, we're doing it all in right, less than so, one year. Uh, that was all that dribble. That's all that dribble. Now, he was so fuss, uh, hilarious. Brian Karam, of course, uh, who is the uh, White House correspondent for Playboy. Uh, he, Donald Trump uh, made this statement, took no questions. But listen to the question Brian posed. Mr. President, you lost the election. When will you admit that you lost the election? When will you admit you lost the election, sir? Mr. President, you lost the election. When will you admit that you lost the election? When will you admit you lost the election, sir? <laughs> See, that's when you know you are such a spoiled brat when you can't even accept reality. You come before the cameras today, November 13th. The election is over. The election is over. And, uh, I, I, I just, I don't know what I, what I, what I just, I, nothing, nothing. Let me bring in my panel, Gary Chambers, Jr., publisher, The Rouge Collection, Michael M. Hotep, host the African History Network show, Amisha Cross, political analyst, and Democratic strategist. Uh, Gary, talk about hilarious. Uh, a 75, 74-year-old grown-ass baby. That's who he is. <laughs> I mean, scared to take questions. Okay, Mr. Normally, oh, running his mouth, talking smack, oh, talking about Sleepy Joe living in his basement. Mm, looks like that was a smart strategy because he beat your ass. <laughs> Facts. You know, you know, I think that um, this is a window into the instability of Trump, right? That this guy cannot face reality. He's been in an alternative universe the entire time that he's been president. Um, he is such a disgrace to this country. Uh, and I think it's, it's really time for Republicans to have some sort of backlash for their refusal to admit that this guy uh, is a disgrace, for them to uh, distance themselves from him. And, and I'm just wondering how long will the American people allow this to go on, right? There are raging numbers of the co of coronavirus all over this country. And the guy is basically having a temper tantrum in the White House where he's like, I don't want to do it anymore. You don't want me to be president? I'm, I'm just not going to do the job anymore. You know? And, and he's not. I mean, it, it is... It is... I mean, he, 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 he comes out with this news conference in Misha and, uh, I mean, again, just doesn't want to confront the reality that it's over. It's over. And, and he has no dignity. He has, uh, I mean, just no class whatsoever. I mean, other presidents have lost. President George H.W. Bush was the last president uh, to lose re-election. Gracious in defeat. Uh, not this sucker. <laughs> But, but Brooklyn, we, we knew this. We expected that Trump would not be someone not only who's uh, gracious in defeat, but can even be respectful and acknowledge that he's been defeated. I think that it shows something that in how many days after the election, he still isn't able to come out and say anything. Heck, Georgia just went to Biden today, and we still haven't heard anything from Donald Trump related to the election at all, other than the things that he tweets about. 
I, I don't think that anything about today's speech was uh, surprising. He had announced previous to the speech that he was going to be talking about Pfizer and basically trying to take credit for, um, for, for a vaccine. But I think that what we should be pushing on harder is the fact that there is a Republican contingency that is so afraid of losing Trump's base, that is so afraid of losing that attentiveness, those fundraising dollars, and everything that Trump um, and his, his body politic brought to this, that they will not confront and stand up and say, quite frankly, that this is over, that Joe Biden is the president-elect, that you know these, these lawsuits, they're frivolous, they're stupid, they're not going anywhere. What we have is a Republican contingency that even in the face of defeat at the presidential level, refuses to have the conversation and bring this man to grips with the fact that he lost, but also refuses to have that conversation with the American public. And they continue to cover for him because they're afraid that his base will turn against them. That, I think, is more demonstrative of where the party is going than it is of Donald Trump. But the, the, the thing here, Michael, is, just, first of all, it's laughable. I mean, I, I, I keep telling people, I don't need Donald Trump to come out and concede. When you got your ass right. whooped, you got your ass whooped. Uh, exactly. But, but just to watch a whiny bit. I mean, the only thing he was missing was a sippy cup. <laughs> Roly, you know, I was listening to some of it today. I listened to maybe about five minutes. And I turned it off, brother. I turned to D.L. Hughley. Seriously. So I went back and read some of the, read about some of what he said. I heard the interview that Governor Cuomo did, Governor Andrew Cuomo on MSNBC, because Trump singled out uh, New York and said that when the vaccines come out, they're going to go to every state except the state of New York. So, you know, we... So the way this fool acted and in, in, in the silence... So this is the... People have to understand, this is the first time he's spoken since uh, in about the last eight days, spoken publicly. Now, he's been tweeting, but he hasn't been tweeting about coronavirus. So if we look at uh, yesterday, uh, November 12th, 152,000 new cases of coronavirus set a record again. Ninth consecutive day where you had 100,000 new cases or more. Ninth consecutive day. And then you have six, you have a, a basically a record number of people hospitalized right now with coronavirus, 66,000 as of yesterday. So the way he continues to act, he acts like a bully because a bully can dish it out, but a bully can't take it. And a bully can't take defeat. So the way he acted confirmed the uh, 70, I think it's 75 million votes, 76 million votes that Joe Biden has, and they're still coming in. And then, and then Arizona was called for Joe Biden today as well. Okay, now we already knew Arizona was going. Um, 2:50 a.m. November 4th, Wednesday, Associated Press called it for uh, Joe Biden in Arizona, but Arizona was called for Joe Biden today as well. So this once again confirms his defeat. But we got to watch him because he's dangerous. What he's doing, the movies he's making with the Pentagon, he's dangerous right now. But once again, this the, the way he acted today, that confirmed us whipping his ass at the at the ballot box. I mean, I, I just... Look, I, I, I'm just... Get, look, all the people are besides themselves, Gary. I, I, I'm just enjoying the sullen, shock, devastation, uh, whiny... Just, I'm loving it. And they're getting the ass with every, every place in court. I mean, yes. they ain't winning nowhere. The, they've already pulled out of Arizona. The judge ruled against them in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, except the ass whooping. He's trying, in fact, he's trying to, he ordered the, uh, he ordered uh, one of the cyber officials to be fired 
who released a statement yesterday saying that there was no, nothing wrong with the election. And, the, and his boss like, nah, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I mean, see, this is the moment where finally the Trump people, I, I, I guess, they, remember that, remember the movie The Brothers where she would tell yeah. EGF4 was the thug and then they were all, they were out uh, on, a la on, lake, on Lake Michigan and then they all turned against him and he was talking that trash. Man, kill him. They were like, nah, we're going to kill you. <laughs> That's what you're dealing with. His, finally, his folks should be sitting here saying, nah, we're going to ignore you. And finally, you want to fire me, fire me. At some point, folks got to have some integrity to say, no, no, what you're doing is simply un-American and we're not going to do it. Well, I think that this is when, you know, people have to recognize that, you know, there is change coming, right? That there is a change in this administration coming. Uh, and the folks that are in there, I think it's, it, it is time for them to stand up, right? The, the American citizens who have held their peace for the last four years trying to hold the framework of this Democratic Republic together, um, I think those folks uh, now have an opportunity to stick their middle finger up at Trump and say, we hear a lot of those folks have protections. It's time for the, uh, the career government employees to say, change is coming and we hold in tight. Because, you know, he is going to, I think the brother was absolutely right. We don't know how far he's going to go before election day. And, and while it is fun to watch him uh, be a spoiled brat, it is also concerning that the leadership around him uh, in the Republican Party is not mobilizing to figure out how to get him to just accept defeat and move on. Uh, this is... Uh, looks like we lost uh, Gary there. There we go. Gary's back. Go ahead, Gary. This is, this is the opportunity for Republicans to begin to attempt to redeem themselves instead of continuing to, to wallow in the filth that is Donald Trump. I mean, I, I, the, the thing here that we do have to be concerned about, Amisha, is, again, we're dealing with people. It's about power. It's about power. And what they're doing is they are they're just sitting and simply trying to, to, to make him feel good. I mean, I mean, this is sort of like parents... Can, can, can you just give the baby a cookie so they can stop crying? Can you just put them on the nipple? I mean, so, so, so they can stop crying. I mean, that's what you're dealing with with Donald Trump. You're dealing with, I, I'm telling you, I, I mean, dealing with him is like me sitting here looking at my uh, brothers and sisters having kids going, man, what, what, what y'all gonna do to quiet that baby? <laughs> <laughs> to a certain extent, but this is actually populism 101. What we see in this uh, Trump administration is basically dictatorial regime. And dictators don't give up power easily. And because he has this vetted base, and a base that's actually larger this go-round in 2020 than it even was in 2016, he's emboldened. He's emboldened because the media let him get, a get away with everything and run wild. He's emboldened because he was able to weaponize social media, not only in terms of spreading and massively spreading his lies, but also in terms of creating a stronger base. And I think that what we've seen now is someone who is going to ride off into the sunset with these individuals. And the RNC and the Republican Party that supports it. And they support it because they don't want to lose this newfound resonance they have with a crowd of people that didn't do anything with the Republican Party before. We have to remember that these are people who are largely, they, they know that Trump's already lost this race. I don't think anybody is confused about that. But when it comes to the fundraising apparatus and the fact that the majority of the funds that he is raising is going directly to the RNC, is going directly into these fights for the runoffs, is going directly to the Republican base, 
That is what they're looking forward to. So he may be crazy, but he's crazy as a fox. The man is sly. He's not as off the wall, you know, baby pennyanic as people think that he is. Yes, he is self-absorbed and that's a problem in and of itself. But when you give a dictator room to grow, they will continue to grow. I'm more interested in what happens with the party after this, but also what Trump funnels his energies and these people into. Because I don't think this is the last we're going to hear of this type of regime because the Republicans can't just turn that switch. Without Trump, they still have to give some type of red meat to this base, and they're not willing to let that base go. Well, but what's happening? They're going to have to pay close attention to it. Yeah, but Michael, what, what we're already uh, hearing these folks say is that uh, that that uh, before uh, he's got to get out of the White House, he's going to announce that he's going to run in 2024. <laughs> uh, I'm, and I'm and again though, and I'm going, yeah, but you better hope Tish James don't indict your behind. Uh, exactly. You know, this is this is, and you know what, Michael? Here's the other deal. You got a lot of people out here who are saying, you know, uh, what are Democrats doing? Uh, they, they should be fighting this. Uh, he, he should, he got to get off the stage. No, 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 no. If you're Joe Biden, you're sitting here saying, y'all, give your little attention. Because when I get, because well, when I get sworn in, I'm the president. See, I, I see, see, this is where I, I, here's the deal. When somebody has no bottom, Mm -hmm. Th there's no such thing as a new low, okay? Right. There's no such thing as a new low. If you're Joe Biden, your time right now is best spent with your VP-led Kamala Harris and you building out your team. Right. You're sitting here determining who you're going to be the cabinet picks, who's going to work in your administration. Let, let the cir The circus is going to leave town. What you don't do is try to put on your show while the chaotic circus is in town. Let the chaotic circus leave and then handle your business. Exactly. You know, um, we see that Joe Biden um, has announced uh, Ron Klain uh, as his uh, chief of staff, who's going to be his chief of staff. Uh, Joe Biden uh, announced the people who are going to be on his uh, coronavirus team uh, earlier this week. Uh, so, Biden doesn't need to respond to the lunacy that is Donald Trump. Every everything that Donald Trump does or tweets, Biden doesn't have to respond to that. He Biden it, Biden is being more of a president now than Donald Trump has been these past three and a half, almost four years. Um, but but Trump said he's going to run again in 2024. Trump is trying to he's trying to keep raising money. That's what this is about, okay? It's not just it's not just uh, Letitia James in uh, the state of New York. It's also Cy Vance in in New York as well. Uh, remember when we go back to the conviction of Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's attorney for ten years, and Donald and Michael Cohen uh, provided documentation to corroborate the allegations he was the, uh, he was making against Trump, there, if I remember correctly, it's about 14 unsealed indictments there in uh, 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 the, one of the districts in New York, okay? When he leaves office, that stuff is going to be revealed. The other thing is he can run again in 2024, but I think Cy Vance will have had Donald Trump's taxes by then, and it would be revealed. So then Trump is going to have to, if, he, if he's dumb enough to run again, 
he's going to have to deal with that. He can't run again in 2024 and say he's not going to reveal his taxes and say he's still under audit. Well, hold on. You were under audit nine years before that in 2015. Man, he going to lie. He going <laughs> to lie. First of all, this whole deal I'm running is a big old ruse. He, 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 here's the reality. He needs the attention. He, can, he has to be center stage. And that's the deal. They're trying to create this political action committee. They want to stay right. in the game. But what right. they want to be able to do is they got to feed the beast. They got to keep booking mm -hmm. events at his properties. They got to keep right. doing it at his hotels. And he wants to keep a stranglehold, a stranglehold on the Republican Party. He's already announced Rona McDaniel uh, is going to be endorsing her to stay on his GOP chair. If the Republican Party was smart, like I said, if they were smart, when they vote <laughs> in January, the first thing they would do is say, nah, she got to go. Mm -hmm. But, look, they might want to keep crazy, but I do think what has to happen is, like, right now they're freaking out because he basically hasn't, he hasn't tweeted anything about the Georgia race. Uh, he hasn't said anything at all. Um, he, uh, and in fact, they're, they're, they're even wondering, is he going to even come to Georgia uh, and campaign? That race is getting very nasty. Kelly Leffler mm -hmm. is trying to attack uh, uh, Pastor Raphael Warnock. Now, now they have a new one. Now they have a new one. Their new one is Raphael Warnock is anti-Semitic. That, that's their new one. I'm going to do this here, though. Uh, we have these, uh, so we've been playing these, these commercials. And so uh, go ahead, folks. Uh, and fire the Raphael Warnock spot. And, and I'm going to show you the con in terms of I'm going to break down what he what he's trying to do and how he's trying to operate in this race. But go ahead and play it. Raphael Warnock grew up in a house full of brothers and sisters. His parents taught him the value of hard work, like me. Like me, he was first in his family to graduate from college and went on to earn a PhD. He thinks insurance companies should not be allowed to discriminate against people with pre-existing conditions, like me. Like me, Reverend Warnock knows that both parties in Washington could use some moral leadership. I'm Raphael Warnock, and I approve this message because it's time we had a senator who put Georgians first, like me. 1982, a 12-year-old is accused of stealing and dragged out a store, told he looked suspicious because his hands are in his pockets. I'm Raphael Warnock, and that boy was me. Back then, I didn't understand how much the system works against those without power and money, that the rules were different for some of us. Too often, that's still true today, especially in Washington. I approve this message because it's time for that to change. When people have no vision, they revert to the vision. And that's what you're seeing from my opponent right now. While she's busy calling me names, let me tell you where I stand. I believe that in the greatest nation in the world, people should have affordable health care that Georgians who work hard every day deserve a livable wage, and that seniors ought to be able to afford the cost of prescription drugs. Kelly Leffler may think that's radical. I think it's common sense. I'm Raphael Warnock, and I approve this message. Now I'm going to also, I'm going to play one more. Uh, all of them are not Mr. Mr. Nice uh, as well. Here is uh, another ad really hitting her on those transactions after that COVID briefing uh, back early this year. January 6th, billionaire Kelly Leffler is sworn into office and over the next 18 days doesn't make a single stock transaction. Then Leffler receives a confidential briefing on the threat of coronavirus and immediately starts dumping stocks. As Kelly Leffler downplays the threat publicly, she makes sale after sale, getting rid of $3.1 million before the market crashes. 
Kelly's for Kelly. Warnock is for us. I'm Raphael Warnock, and I approve this message. So what, so what they're doing, they're trying to attack him uh, on a speech that he gave um, uh, uh, dealing with the whole issue of uh, Israel. Uh, they're trying to say that he's anti-Semitic by saying that Israel, uh, he, how dare he stand up and uh, defend Palestinians. Uh, he's making a point very clearly. He said, look, nobody deserves to be shot and killed by anybody. He said, as a pastor, that's the case. Uh, Amisha, uh, obviously, and, and, you know, I guess she's thinking that by attacking Warnock as anti-Israel, I think people are making one mistake. People think that, oh, she's trying to lock up the Jewish vote. No, 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 no. What they don't understand is 70-plus percent of American Jews vote Democrat. What she's really, really going after are the white conservative evangelicals who have a different who have a different view on Israel. You're exactly right. And that's the same thing that we saw with Donald Trump. Um, a lot of his rhetoric towards Israel in terms of changing, you know, the trying to change the capital and talking about doing that was more so for evangelical Christians than it was for uh, is Israeli Americans. But I think that what is being done here in Georgia is very demonstrative of what we've seen at the national scale as well, where you see these, um, these alt-right groups and other groups that are out here loudly and proudly shouting their disdain for Jewish people. Meanwhile, Republicans aren't, you know, shouting them down in any way or rebuking them, but they're trying to place this ban banner of hate on Democrats who are running for office. So I think that, you know, this is this is an interesting process because we also saw in Georgia, remember a few months ago, that commercial that was actually against um, the other Senate candidate, the other Democratic Senate candidate, where the Republicans made his nose all of a sudden longer and bigger to, you know, it, make people upset about him possibly being Jewish or to increase any, any idea of um, him being of a Jewish heritage. So they're playing both ends here. What we know about Raphael Warnock is that he is a pastor. He's a beloved pastor. He is someone who has done a great deal of work, um, groundwork in Georgia to, you know, seal the soil that we're seeing work in his favor right now. I don't think that people are going to buy into this. What I do know is that there is a lot of funding going into Georgia from both sides of the aisle. But when it comes to Republicans specifically, they know that this will be 50-50 and that Kamala Harris would be the deciding factor um, on a majority of policy avenues should two Democratic senators come through and win in Georgia. So I do think that they're trying to throw in every type of coup that they possibly can from now until Election Day to really turn out their base. And if they try this and see that it even gets a smidgen of attention from the conservative right, then they're definitely going to keep pushing it. Uh, and look, I think that um, uh, if uh, they want to do that, uh, Michael, uh, look, what Warnock needs, what John Ossoff, who's running against Sarah and David Perdue, they need a fired up uh, black base to turn out. So if you think mm -hmm. attacking Jeremiah Wright is going to be the, your path to victory, do you? Know you? What, I had that written right here. Jeremiah Wright. That was my next point. So, so they are trying to align uh, Raphael Warnock, Pastor Raphael Warnock, with Jeremiah Wright and then, then say Jeremiah Wright is anti-American because of the speech he gave years ago where he said, goddamn America. Okay? So... Um, I don't think one, I don't think that's going to work. Um, that, well, I don't think that's going to work with a lot of African-Americans. Now, some white people, uh, they may, they may be put off by just the relationship between the two. But I think that those commercials that you showed of, uh, Pastor Warnock, those commercial, what the topics he's talking about, especially dealing with healthcare, 
that goes across the racial lines. And we know we know usually a lot of these Republican states that have Republican governors and Republican state legislatures, they're very poor states also, like Kentucky, where, Miss, where Moscow Mitch McConnell is. So, uh, but you you need a galvanized uh, African American base. Uh, the person leading that should be um, 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 uh, name escapes me right now. But you need a, a galvanized African American base. OK, and this is not the time also to try to convert people uh, um, who are Republicans trying to convert them over uh, to your uh, to, to your platform either or try to get them to vote for you. You got to You got to really dig into the base and realize also that is you trying to get people out in the wintertime, even though it's normally warmer in January in Georgia than it is in Detroit or in the, than it is in Michigan, you got to realize, okay, this is uh, four days after New Year's Day that you got to galvanize people to, to come out as well if they don't do early voting. I'm not sure what the deadline is or how the early voting is working there in Georgia. But, um, you know, yeah, you, you got to really focus in and, and mobilize your base and get them back out. But the lastly, I'll, I'll wrap up with this. We really have to focus on and explain this to the people in Georgia, why these two sentences, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, why they're so critical to Democrats having control of the Senate so that all these bills and what's in Joe Biden's Build, uh, Build Back Better plan and his Lift Every Voice plan, his, uh, his agenda for African-Americans, so you can get those passed through the Senate. Otherwise, Mitch McConnell is going to be Senate Majority Leader, and a lot of those things are going to be blocked in the Senate. Uh, Gary, uh, again, uh, I think what, uh, first of all, uh, weigh in on what uh, laying out here, what you're seeing in Georgia. Uh, bottom line is this here. Runoffs, there's a huge drop-off, okay? And, if you, and the Warnock folks, they're seeing what they're doing. Their deal is going to be, hey, you want to drive your black turnout as high as possible. Every black vote, Roland, every black vote. They need to be focused on getting every black voter in the state of Georgia mobilized and voting. Uh, shout out to the sister Stacey Abrams for all of the work that they did in round one. But it would be uh, disappointing to the work and the labor that those organizations have done, that all of the grassroots organizers have done all over Georgia if people don't come back out again. Because we talk about making change and, and creating these opportunities, but you got to take power to do it, right? And this is the opportunity to do that. Uh, the reason that uh, the, the senator, the current senator, uh, is doing the things that she's doing is because she has nothing else to run on. So, of course, you're going to try uh, and, and create some type of division to get people to disparage uh, Raphael, Reverend Raphael Warnock. But the reality is we have to be critical of all people. You know, it, it is as if any time an American or any person of color says anything about anyone who is of Jewish descent, that we are now saying that those people are anti-Semitic. That is just simply not true. It, you can be both critical and supportive of someone. Uh, and and I, the reality of that is we are supporting Joe Biden as black folks because we want Joe Biden, uh, we want Joe Biden to make change and we want Donald Trump out of office. But we are also critical of his, his historic past and the work that he has done 
with around the crime bill, right? We can both support you and criticize you and hold you accountable. And and what the reality is is the Republican Party doesn't want to give accountability uh, to to Israel for the transgressions against Palestinian people, and that should be confronted. And Raphael Warnock is absolutely right to speak in defense of all humanity and all human life, because that is what the good Bible teaches him to do. All right, folks. Uh, again, uh, we are certainly going to be focused on that. Here are the critical dates in Georgia. Uh, you see it on the screen there. December 7th is the date uh, for you to get registered. Go to IWillVote.com or Vote.org to do so. You, Georgia voters, uh, again, also, election day is January 5th, but early in-person voting will begin on December 14th. December 14th. And so we are focused as well uh, on uh, making sure that people are fully aware of what's going on. Now, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights uh, Under Law, they are suing Jacob Wohl and Jack Berkman, two ignorant Republican operative, operatives, for issuing robocalls making bogus claims to black voters in Detroit. Wohl and Berkman are accused of making robocalls to about 85,000 voters in areas with predominantly black populations, including Detroit falsely claiming their personal information from mail-in ballots could lead to their arrest for outstanding arrest warrants or to be used to collect unpaid credit card debts. The calls also falsely warned that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention could use the information to track people for mandatory vaccines. Joining us now is Christian Clark, President and Executive Director for the Laws Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. Uh, Christian, the Attorney General of Michigan already was going after uh, these two fools. I mean, these are two of the biggest trolls. It uh, looks like we lost uh, Christian there. These are two of the biggest trolls uh, that exist out there. When I say trolls, uh, they're always uh, throwing crap out, alleging all sorts of different things, never making any sense whatsoever. Uh, that's who they are. Uh, and so this action here uh, exposed them. At first, folks had no idea who was behind it. Then they discovered it was Wohl and Berkman. Uh, so, uh, Kristen, tell us about uh, the lawsuit uh, that you have against them, because, again, they're facing criminal proceedings plus now civil. Uh, thanks so much, Roland. Um, you know, robocalls are just despicable because the, the goal behind these racist robocalls is to discourage black people in particular from turning out to vote. And so we worked very hard prior to election day to make sure that the public understood that these robocalls were false. Uh, as you noted, they imparted false information. They told people if you apply for mail, a mail-in ballot, your information can be turned over to authorities. If um, you go out and uh, uh, apply for a mail-in ballot that um, the information could be used to require that you, um, that the CDC mandate that you take a vaccine. Uh, you know, these are scare tactics pulled right out of a Jim Crow playbook. These men face criminal prosecution in the state of Michigan. They face criminal prosecution in the state of New York. But as a civil rights organization, we felt that we also needed to stand up for black voters and those impacted in Detroit, Cleveland, New York, and elsewhere, um, we filed suit under the Ku Klux Klan Act and Section 11B of the Voting Rights Act, which prohibits voter intimidation. Ordinarily, we would love to see the Justice Department step in at a moment like this. I mean, this is criminal conduct that interferes with people's civil rights. But as we know well, this has been a Justice Department missing in action. What's really disturbing is that Attorney General Barr this week issued a directive to prosecutors encouraging them to go out and look for fraud, 
uh, or things that interfered with our election before states certify results. Well, Attorney General Barr, here is a case for you. Here is a case of two men who have issued unlawful robocalls that were aimed at discouraging eligible black voters from participating in our elections. So this is an open invitation for the Justice Department to join with us in our fight. But, you know, this fishing expedition, this attempt to kind of prolong the inevitable and final outcome of, of our election is, is truly despicable. And, and we're going to be out there fighting the real battles and the real issues when it comes to things that impacted the 2020 election and impacted black people in particular. And what we're dealing with here are two individuals who are the biggest, two of the biggest trolls in the country. Um, and they, they are always uh, holding these news conferences, lying, presenting false information. I mean, you name it. I mean, these are two despicable individuals. They, they are. And a federal judge ordered that they make corrective calls, which they failed to do. We've succeeded so far in securing a temporary restraining order that bars them from conducting these robocalls going forward. We represent the National Coalition on Black Civic Participation and other impacted voters. And we're going to keep fighting, Roland. Um, if I can, I'll just mention one other despicable act out of the state of North Carolina and that involves the Alamance County Sheriff's Office that used force on peaceful black demonstrators who were conducting a peaceful march to the polls the Saturday before Election Day. Many of those impacted voters missed out on the chance to early vote because they were placed under arrest, some of them. A uh, number of them missed out on the opportunity to register to vote. That was the last day to register and vote. So that is another suit that we have brought um, under the Ku Klux Klan Act and under the Voting Rights Act. These are the real issues that impacted the 2020 election. So for those out there filing these baseless, baseless claims trying to change the results of the election, I challenge them to stand with us and fight the actual voter suppression that played out in the 2020 election season, because there was a whole lot of it. Explain to folks why are you using that uh, particular KKK uh, act as a, as a legal um, as a legal uh, hammer. Yeah, it's a it's a powerful federal civil rights law um, that is decades old and that prohibits conspiring conspiring to interfere with people's civil rights. And so, in the case of the sheriff's office in North Carolina, we know that they we allege that they worked with officials in the city of Graham who knew that these. Uh, demonstrators who had provided notice of their intent to march and who actually worked, we actually worked with officials to make sure that they would do their job and ensure the safety and security of those marching. Uh, and they, they failed to do that. They fired pepper spray on the crowd. They turned on the crowd, fired pepper spray on a crowd that included children. And so we're uh, essentially arguing that there was a conspiracy between the officials in the city of Graham and law enforcement officials at the county sheriff's office to interfere with people who are exercising the right to vote and seeking to exercise the right to peacefully demonstrate. And the same thing with the two operatives. This was a conspiracy between these men to issue robocalls impacting tens of thousands of targeted black people with the intent of, of interfering with their civil rights and intimidating them from voting in 2020 unlawful conduct that we should not tolerate in 2020. And so that's why we're fighting in these cases.
Well, all right then. Christian Clark, the Laws Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. How can people uh, support the work that y'all do? Um, you can visit our website, lawyerscommittee.org, www.lawyerscommittee.org, and hit that donate button. And Roland, we're operating our election protection, 866-OUR-VOTE hotline for the runoffs that you were just talking about. We will be going seven days a week uh, through January 5th and beyond to make sure that every eligible voter and those who are seeking to register to vote are able to have voice in these incredibly important uh, runoff elections. All right, Kristen Clark, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Folks, we come back, we will talk coronavirus, Secret Service. How do you think they feel? 130 agents test positive for COVID-19. No shock, because Donald Trump doesn't give a damn about their health. We'll discuss that next on Roland Martin Unfiltered. 53 million white women who voted for Trump in the last presidential election were yielding to those dark forces that are invisible, but are visible if we want to make them visible. And so our movement sought to make those forces visible so that we could see them and then we could dissolve them. We could fight back, we could resist, we could create an alternative vision of what we can become. 1982, a 12-year-old is accused of stealing and dragged out of store, told he looked suspicious because his hands are in his pockets. I'm Raphael Warnock, and that boy was me. Back then, I didn't understand how much the system works against those without power and money, that the rules were different for some of us. Too often, that's still true today, especially in Washington. I approve this message because it's time for that to change. I'm John Ossoff, and too many are struggling to afford prescriptions. One change in the law would make a huge difference. See, Medicare is America's biggest buyer of prescriptions, but the drug companies bought off Congress, and they made it illegal for Medicare to negotiate lower prices. It's straight-up corruption. Fighting corruption is my job. I approve this message because I'm not taking donations from corporate PACs, and I won't let the drug companies rip us off anymore. And there are a lot of people, they don't know if they can, they don't know what to do, how to do it, where to do it. They get, you know, all these documents and pamphlets in the mail, but they don't really understand how to dig through and, and figure it all out. So I think, you know, the solution, because I'm all about solutions, is figuring out a way to introduce, reintroduce that into the school system. And I think, you know, getting, getting people together who are like-minded, right? If you don't know exactly what's happening, I think the first thing is don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed to say, I don't really know what that means. I don't know what that term means. I don't know what this politician stands for, even if everyone's talking about it. Folks, we want to talk about something that's shocking and stunning. When we think about Donald Trump tracing around the country and Mike Pence as well, these fools not wearing masks, you got to remember that they're being protected by the U.S. Secret Service. Well, folks, among the 10.36 million people who have been infected with coronavirus, don't forget 240,000 plus have died, the Washington Post is reporting that more than 130 Secret Service agents are either infected with coronavirus or under quarantine in the wake of Trump's campaign travel. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves said his state will not comply with a mandatory six Weak national quarantine should President-elect Joe Biden try to enforce one when he enters office. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy 
had this to say about all of these fools who whined about masks. You know, what is your message to the people who apparently are tired of wearing the mask over their nose as well as their mouth? They think it's uncomfortable and annoying and it's just too much for them to handle, so they're just not doing it. Thank you. Thank you. You know what's really uncomfortable and annoying? When you die. <laughs> and it's to the point. Now, why is this an issue? When you are working for the Secret Service, you are there to protect the president, families, aides, and others. These people are literally putting their lives on the line. But that's when someone is trying to kill the president. That shouldn't be the case when the president, because he's ignorant, is damned to trying to kill you. And that's exactly what you're seeing. We saw the other day, Arlington National Cemetery. What happens? Donald Trump doesn't care about uh, what the CDC says. Mike Pence didn't care about uh, what, what, what the CDC, CDC said. They literally went to Arlington National Cemetery on um, on Veterans Day, no mask. Who cares? Doesn't matter. And the folks affected, who are now being infected, Secret Service. Michael, this is the stuff that people have to understand. It matters. And when you see the chief of staff, when you see countless other officials, when you see the secretary of HUD, when you see these people who are testing positive. That means that their secret service who protects them are also being exposed to a deadly virus. You know, you're definitely correct about that, uh, Roland. And I saw the uh, article from, um, I think it was political, excuse me, I think it was political, uh, political political.com. And I saw the article from the Washington Post as well today dealing with the Secret Service. And I've heard reports about uh, Secret Service agents that protect uh, Trump and his family being infected with coronavirus. But this is, uh, I think, from what I know of, I think this is the largest number that have had to either isolate or quarantine. We're talking about 130 uh, more than 130. Actually, uh, I'm looking at the article from Washington Post right now. More than 130. You, you talked about the um, Dr. Ben Carson and then most recently Corey Lewandowski, Donald Trump's former campaign manager from 2016. It came out yesterday, if I remember correctly, that um, uh, he's been diagnosed with coronavirus. Well, the night of the election, there was a party at the White House, okay? Another super spreader event. And a lot of them that were there caught coronavirus, okay? So, um, you know, brother, and then we look, I don't know if you're going to talk about it, but uh, coming up uh, tomorrow in Washington, D.C., the Proud Boys, two blocks away from the White House, are supposed to have a, 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 a MAGA million march, and coronavirus is going to be spreading through there as well. Um, so to me, brother, this is the chickens coming home to roost. You keep taking your stupid behind up in these super spreader events, that Donald Trump is holding, and then you are surprised that you get coronavirus. This is karma. This is chickens coming home to roost. And then I'll wrap up with this. One of the dumbest things I've heard in the past maybe 24 hours is Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, and he was interviewed on a, a right-wing conservative media. I can't remember which outlet it was, but he said the 11 million people who have survived coronavirus, they should 
uh, go out to restaurants and don't wear masks and and uh, uh, wear it as a badge, something to the effect, wear it as a badge of honor because you're immune. This is the, this is the most idiotic thing because now there's evidence that you can be reinfected. If you have survived coronavirus, there's evidence now that you can be reinfected. One, two, just because you didn't die does not mean that you don't have long-lasting side effects as well. Okay, so this and he's an ophthalmologist. Okay, he, he he's not a virologist. He's not an epidemiologist. He's an ophthalmologist, ophthalmologist, uh, uh, practice, uh, 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 participating in malpractice. But more people are going to die. It is estimated that by the end of this year, if if things don't change for the better, it's estimated by the end of this year, at this pace we're on, we could have 20 million cases uh, and. Uh, uh, I, some estimates say uh, by jan by inauguration, maybe about four hundred thousand deaths or something like that. The, the the thing here about these people and the, the, the masquerade is it, it's just beyond logic. I mean, you heard the the, the, the New Jersey governor, or you can die. I mean, I, I'm playing the video here, I mean, from Arlington National Cemetery, and, and look at this. L look at this. I mean, this fool Trump had it. I mean, no mask. Pence, his top aide, no mask. Head of secretary, I mean, no mask. Their wives, nothing. And they don't care. They don't care. There's a reason we continue to have the spreading going on. Mm -hmm. Leaders are supposed to lead. It's a damn mask. It's not. Here's what I don't. Here's what I don't understand. Actually, go back to the video. I, and I guess they, they believe being tough guy. You're out there raining. Mike Pence, put a trench coat on. You know what? When it's that cold, you put a hat on. You put gloves on. I don't understand what. Explain to me the difference between putting a pair of gloves on and putting a mask on. It's crazy. These people don't care about logic, Roland. Uh, they are after making a point, right? And their point is that we can keep the economy open. They don't care if people get sick. They don't care if people die. You know, they have Walter Reed Hospital. Trump is going to still have the best health care ever the rest of his life. He is taken care of forever. Right. And, and, and the reality is that he has set a standard that has trickled down into the rest of the country that if the president of the United States doesn't have to take this serious, then we don't have to take this serious. And so what ends up happening is people's grandmothers are getting infected and sick because people who continue to go out here, go out here without masks are infecting other people. You have schools that are opening and closing. You have football games that we're so insistent that we've got to have football. Two of the biggest teams in the country, right here in Baton Rouge, LSU and Alabama, they can't play because so many players at LSU have uh, now contracted the virus. And Trump has set a standard of coming, sending Pence down here to talk about opening up football. These people have disrespected and disregarded uh, the realities of this virus and the 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 the. Uh, the implications that it has on, on this community uh, of people in this country so much that, you know, if there is a, a stain that should be the greatest on Trump, it is it has got to be 
how despicable, despicable they have been about their response to this virus, and then the simplicity of just wearing a mask, right? If, if you have ever seen, you know, to say that your rights are being infringed upon because you've got to wear a mask, is, is about the dumbest thing I've ever heard, you know, that, that this one little piece of cloth fabric is going to stop you from being an American in your full liberty, uh, rather than just saying, you know what, I don't want to get sick. I, it, it's, it's really just not that hard. I don't want to get sick, so I wear a mask. I mean, I mean it, it, is, it is beyond laughable, um, uh, Amisha, as you're watching these people, and we're seeing the numbers explode across the country. And they're just in denial. And I'm just trying to understand how do these people they think is going to stop? I guess they figured, I mean, they, I guess in their minds, they are listening to Trump. It's just going to disappear. It's just going <laughs> to disappear. Poof, it'll just go away. I think you're right. I think that, that that's part of it, just buying into the crazy rhetoric. The, the other part is a strong allegiance to being anti-science. The more doctors you have speak out, the more scientists you have speak out, the more medical professionals you have speak out, the less likely these people are to buy it, which is extremely ironic considering that those are that that is the group of people you should be listening to the most. But this just goes to show just how far the Republican Party has taken this anti-science rhetoric that used to be something that was only seen, you know, in the annals of the interwebs. Today, this is something that is being spread by their conspiracy groups and being touted by the president of the United States. And I think that what we have is a is a segment of our population that regardless of how much facts you give them, regardless of it flying in the face of these crazed narratives we see flying across YouTube and Twitter, they just believe what they want to believe. And again, we are dealing with Trump, who is literally touting exactly what he has heard or read from those alt-right groups, but also the anti-vaxxer groups and these other folks. And he's spewing it out to these people, partially because he thinks that wearing a mask makes him look weak. Okay, whatever. But other, otherwise, because he himself does not see a value in leaning in on the science. He believes that he can fight this virus just by ignoring the fact that it exists. We all know that that's not true, but we also know that this is a president who will never, ever, ever admit to being wrong. He didn't wear a mask. He caught COVID-19. He came out and said that basically he didn't die because he has American blood. Meanwhile, we have hundreds of thousands of Americans who have faced the peril of death. So I think that what we're seeing is a president who's dug his heels in the sand and no matter what he's going to say in that, stay in that same place. Again, I am most frustrated by the conservative leadership, the governors, the mayors, the people across this country that are a part of the Republican Party who have decided to stand by this president and his ignorance, ignorance when they all know better. President Trump is out. These guys are still going to be in. It is very frustrating to watch them carry the mantle for this guy, knowing all along that he has been wrong. Folks, speaking of wrong, how about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis? This fool actually is proposing a new bill that would expand Florida's stand-your-ground law, allowing armed people to protect property by shooting looters, rioters, or anyone else showing ill intentions against businesses and other properties. He pledged in September to crack down on violent and disorderly assemblies. Apparently, his way of making good on his promise is, to, is giving vigilantes more power. Watch this. All right, folks, um, this, I thought we had a video there of DeSantis uh, discussing this. Uh, I wouldn't say this is a great idea, Gary. It's, it's trash. 
it's trash. And, you know, for people who, who, who work in the space of advocacy, this is dangerous. This is literally him giving the Proud Boys and these armed militias and the Kevin Rittenhouses of the world permission to go out and shoot and kill people. And what it really is is to say, we want to write a law to protect uh, corrupt white people who want to kill black folks, and we want to make it legal for them to kill black folks if they damage somebody's property. That is what this law basically says. If you decide for any reason to break a window, you deserve to die. If you decide to set a tire on fire, you deserve to die. If you decide that you you look like, because what's going to happen is, because we have seen this over and over again, and 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 it's such it's such an insult to the the memory of uh, of of Trayvon Martin that that this man is attempting to expand the stand your ground law, and 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 it is a disgrace to this country that people around here. Uh, believe that this is acceptable. And, and when we talk about the danger of Trump, Trump gives us a Ron DeSantis, right? Trump gives us a, a kook like that who wants to expand and create more opportunities for murder to be justified in the state of Florida, where people are traveling into this state every year to vacation. It's, it's, it's really going to have to be where we as a people decide, is this place off guard for us or are or should we stay away from tourism to Florida because they've got a crazy governor who wants to give white vigilantes the ability to kill black people when we are out there screaming and 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 calling for the the government to respect our full humanity and instead of him making laws that that alleviate the problems that cause protests he's wanting to go create laws that allow people to remain in the same mire that they're in it's disgusting Roland that leads to, again, uh, Alicia, uh, folks who's out there playing these lone wolves. And here's the other deal. So is it if I see any building or does it have to be my building? I mean, and, that, and that's the whole nonsense. So, okay, so you just giving folks license. I'm going to tell you right now, you're about to lead to shootouts. That mm -hmm. And then, Amisha, what happens if cops roll up? Well, you don't know who the hell the perpetrator is and who, like, like, what ends up happening. So somebody might end up getting killed. What Ron DeSantis has done is essentially green light domestic terrorism. We've seen it in this country before. There have been laws to protect domestic terrorists, specifically as they raided and pilfered black communities. Um, and, a, and, and what we're seeing here is a guy who wants to be in bed so bad with that crazy Trumpy base that he is mm. going to the right of the right and creating a bed of terrorism for people who honestly just are upset that not only Blacks, but also Latinos are a rising power, but want to utilize these fear tactics that involve guns. And I think that what this governor is doing is basically ratcheting up a lot of those, a, a lot of those terrorist threats. And without even saying it, because he doesn't have to, he is standing beside them in their push to, you know, push to create a, a, a underpopulation, a population that is afraid to speak, a population that is afraid to vote, a population that is afraid to um, stand out and protest. What Ron DeSantis is doing is creating his own armed militia of crazy white people who will go out here and literally threaten the lives and take the lives. Like, let's not get it twisted. Take the lives and have impunity by government while they take the lives of African-Americans. That is essentially what this does. And everyone, I don't care whether you're a Floridian or not, everyone should rise up against this. This right here, uh, Michael, uh, if this law was in place in Wisconsin, 
Kyle Rittenhouse never arrested. You know, Roland, I talked about this on my show Wednesday night. I saw the article from HuffingtonPost.com, uh, November 11th, 2020. And I went through and broke this down, how devastating this is. Because when you read the article from the Washington Post, it says that the legislation would also make it a third-degree felony to block traffic during a protest, but it would also offer immunity to drivers who claim to have unintentionally killed or injured protesters who block traffic. So then you have to you have to sit back and you have to wonder, well, is this written is this written uh, for the Proud Boys who are protesting? Is this written for the Boogaloo Boys who are protesting? So you you have to sit back and look at this and say, well, wait a second. Florida is where the Okoy massacre of November 2nd, 1920 took place, which was Election Day massacre in uh, over 50 African-Americans were killed. Florida is where January 1923, where you had the Rosewood massacre. Florida is where uh, uh, Trayvon Martin was killed. Florida is where the Stand Your Ground law started, pushed by ALEC, American Legislative Exchange Council. So we, we look at this, and then this ties into what I've said before here on your show and my show. Elections have consequences. I, w- number one, I guarantee you, now I know that um, he is the one who um, drafted this legislation, according to the reporting from Huffington Post. But if Andrew Gillum was governor of Florida and if the state legislature passed something like this, I guarantee you Andrew Gillum would veto it, okay? Um, but what I want to ask you, Roland, is this... This is not an executive order. This is something that has to pass state legislation. Yeah, which Republicans control? Yeah, it was under it's under Republican control, but we got we have to uh, come out against this. It, now, now let me let me show you something. Uh, after Ron DeSantis won against Andrew Gillum, okay, the state legislature in Florida passed a law that allowed teachers to go through something like ninety hours of training. But teachers could carry guns in the schools. This is in Florida. Yeah. So who do you think that's going to be used disproportionately against? Okay? Number one. Number number two, I guarantee you, if that bill had passed the state legislature and Andrew Gillum was governor, he would have vetoed that bill. So I heard some people, some African Americans saying, uh, oh, Andrew Gillum doesn't have a black agenda. Okay? Well, the first thing you should do is look at the person who has an anti-black agenda. Because an anti-black agenda is even worse than not having a black, uh, not having a black agenda, and we see an anti-black agenda playing out right now. See it constantly, and that's what we're seeing right now, folks, uh, there uh, in Florida. All right, then, got to go to another quick break. Uh, we come back more on Roller Martin Unfiltered. this younger group, you know, of millennials becoming much more politically savvy, much more politically activated and organized. Right. Organization is key. It's like, you know, an ant by itself can't do anything, but ants working together, you know, can do things well beyond their own capacity. And I think the same thing goes for this younger generation to become united and activized on what's happening. I'm John Ossoff. And the path to recovery is clear. First, we listen to medical experts to control this virus. Then we shore up our economy with stronger support for small businesses and tax relief for working families. And it's time for a historic infrastructure plan 
to get people back to work and invest in our future. We need leaders who bring us together to get this done. And that's why I approve this message. I mean, if you like the way it's happening, that's what's going on around you, and, and that's the way it is, then fine. But I said, if, if that's how it is, then sit it out. But whatever happens, then you own it. And if you own it, then you can't complain about it. U.S. Appeals Court has rejected a case challenging Harvard's affirmative action policy. The case was initiated by a group of Asian-American students who felt the university's policy disproportionately benefited black and Hispanic students. It was bullshit. Judge Sandra Lynch wrote the ruling for the appellate panel and found the university's limited use of race in its admissions practices didn't violate the precedent set by the Supreme Court. Edward Blum, president of Students for Fair Admissions, filed a lawsuit in November 2014. He was the one behind Abigail Fisher's case against the University of Texas in 2016. Fisher was the white girl who thought her whiteness was the reason she didn't get into school, saying, oh, but these other black students and Latino students, that's why. Uh, the problem is they then discovered there was white students who had worse uh, scores than she did on the SAT who still got in. Mm -hmm. Wasn't us, boo. It was your fellow white people. Speaking of that, Gary, in California, there was a ballot initiative that would restore affirmative action there, but that was actually voted down. And people have been talking about that, oh, that this so-called blue state would vote that kind of initiative down. I keep reminding people, we have red states, blue states, but we also have a white America. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's important for us to recognize, and, and my lawyer is actually from Cali, and we had a conversation about this uh, recently, and he's always telling me, you know, Cali is real progressive, but you got to look at that demographics, right? And, and when you look at that demographic breakdown, there are people there who, who want things to be uh, progressive, but they want it to progress for certain people. Uh, they want certain folks to be out of the conversation, uh, as much as possible, and they don't want anybody who they feel like doesn't deserve the opportunity to be there or is unqualified to be there at a seat at the table to be there. And that's the same thing that's in that frivolous lawsuit, right? That you have, uh, here's an Asian American who's basically saying, no, I don't believe that this black per these black people deserve a seat at Harvard. Well, the reality is, sweet, sweet things, or whoever you are, uh, we deserve a seat at any table that our academic uh, excellence allows us to get to. And, and to try and push us out to say that we don't have a right to be here and we're only here because of affirmative action, well, I got news for you. They got smart black folks in America that deserve seats at tables, that deserve opportunities at these jobs, that deserve the ability to compete in this economy the same way as anyone else. And the reason these laws were created is because the bias that exists in this country that is consistently discriminated against black folks and people of color remains in this country, and it has not gone anywhere. And, and no matter how much you try to fight against those things, until we build a, a, a political system, laws and policies that are equitable, not equality, that are equitable, that deal with the deficits that have been created through the systems that we have perpetuated for decades and centuries in this country. Until we build an equitable system, we will continue to have these conversations over and over. And here's the deal: it was it was a twenty it was a four year ban uh, on affirmative action, and um, uh, again, it, it has had a huge impact uh, on. Uh, the issue of uh, race in these schools. I mean, it, it, it is undeniable. And the fact of the matter, Amisha, 
until folks are willing to confront what's, and we have our education segment a little bit later, but until they are willing to confront what's happening uh, education-wise uh, in this country uh, for uh, elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools, college is the end of the process. And so for all these folks who are like, oh, no, no, we're all equal when it comes to high school graduates, well, are we equal K through 12? And I think that that's a very uh, fundamental question, Roland. And as someone who spent the majority of my career in education policy, specifically serving minority-facing groups and communities, it's problematic that um, even to this day, and I would say that the Democrats... Uh, have a little bit to bear here as well. Even to this day, the idea that there is some kind of level playing field when it comes to college admissions or even making it to college is simply just unbelievable and quite foolhardy. When we think of K through 12, heck, when we think about early childhood education, we know that African-American and Latino children start off at a much different path than their white counterparts, specifically because a lot of this funding comes from local property taxes. It just is what it is. And those property taxes funneled from blighted communities are never going to be able to fund adequately what is necessary for these students. In addition to that, we also know that when it comes to prime resources, not only in terms of the talent, but also in terms of having up having up-to-date books, having supplementary materials, having the opportunity to even be in some of these AP courses and other things and honors courses, they aren't even offered in the majority of schools that serve people who look like anybody on this panel. So I, I think that it's very annoying and it's disturbing to hear when you have these groups who fight so hard against affirmative action, which, by the way, has historically benefited more white women than it has any person of color. I, I think it's just problematic because what we know is that to get to the college level, an African-American student is not only working twice as hard, they're also, for the most part, defying all things in their community to get there. And it's meaning that they're doing the supplementary things that aren't even offered by their schools. They are making sure they're doing the extra hours. They are developing an understanding of things that, for the most part, aren't even taught in the schools that they attend because they have to be able to compete at that level. That means that despite having, um, despite having and coming from a lower quality education because they've been rifled with funding from state budget cuts and city budget cuts, they're still able to make it. That speaks to that that student, that speaks to that student's family, that speaks to the community that wrapped their arms around that student and made sure that they were able to make it despite every single obstacle. What we should be doing is investing more in pre-K to 12, because we talk about college so much, not realizing that the fundamental aspects of education start before a child can even form words. We need to do more to develop that part of a child's mind and framework before they get to college, before this conversation can really even take shape. And yes, a lot of it does turn back to funding. We know that in, in every city in America where there are diverse school districts, there is also somehow magically a lack of funding for the basic necessities of these schools. We need to make sure that the funding benchmarks are met, that we have high quality education, that we have teachers who are ready to teach to the future, that we have enough and adequate um, resources when it comes to technology, that we are promoting and um, giving a level of access to these young people to potential careers, not only the ones that exist today, but also the future careers of tomorrow, because that's what's done in their white counterpart schools. And sadly, a lot of our black students are left behind, not for lack of trying, but for lack of the resources and lack of the capacity. That is a structural issue. And that's something that I think that we need to have more conversations about. Uh, Michael. You know, Roland, um, when we talk about affirmative action, brother, it, once again, America needs a massive history lesson because um, 
you know, there, there have been all types of stereotypes about affirmative action, and the only way African Americans uh, got to college is because of affirmative action. Okay, well, you know, to my knowledge, you don't get graded on a black curve when you're in college. There's no affirmative action once you get to college when it comes to grades, okay? And then they they don't want to talk about affirmative action when it comes to legacies. So if your parent, if one of your parents graduated from this institution, you get uh, some extra points on the application, okay? Or your uh, grandfather uh, donated money to the institution, you get extra points on the application, or you may get in, okay? Uh, isn't that, didn't that happen with Jared Kushner? The poster boy, white privilege, who said that uh, if African Americans want Donald Trump's policies to to uh, work, they have to try hard and they have to want to succeed. Or just, or, or just have your daddy buy you into Harvard. Have your daddy buy you into what? Harvard. So, so it, when they talk about affirmative action, it's it's only one way. I, uh, on YouTube, uh, Tim Wise, W I S E, there was a debate about uh, affirmative action, and you had pro, you had some that were for and some against. Um, the brother who was uh, on um, uh, the TV show, The Cosby Show, who played uh, uh, Martin Kendall, he's a conservative in real life, okay? He, he was against, right? Yeah, Phillips. Uh, from, yeah, 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 yep. yeah, Phillips. He was against affirmative action. But Tim Wise went through and broke this stuff down, uh, and he talked about in with the University of Michigan, and there was um, a, a lawsuit, there was a white woman who uh, sued against affirmative action here in the, uh, uh, in the state of Michigan. And he talked about the application that, that you fill out in the, in, the, in the point system. If you graduated from a high school in northern Michigan, up north, you got extra points on the uh, application, okay? But, and then when you look at the fact that you get extra points if you took uh, 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 advanced placement classes, AP classes, well, a lot of the white school districts are more likely, in the affluent school districts, are more likely to offer AP classes. So when it comes to the point system on the application and how it's stacked against us, they really don't want to talk about affirmative action either. So one, America needs a massive history lesson. Two, we need to really clearly define the history of affirmative action, because as far as I'm concerned, white people had affirmative action for 246 years in this country, and it was called slavery. Folks, um, if, if y'all, I just saw this, and I, I just can't. Y'all roll it. <laughs> I'm white. I got you, huh? So our segment is called Crazy as White People. In Illinois, Lauren Underwood was the incumbent. Tough race against millionaire Jim Oberweiss. Y'all, two days ago, the race was called for Lauren Underwood, sister. Just finished her first term in Congress. Amisha, her opponent, this fool, showed up to freshman orientation. <laughs> Y'all heard me right. Go, please go to my iPad. This is a tweet. Uh, somebody says, oh, my God. Jim Overwise, who tried to claim victory when there were still 20,000 uncounted ballots and ultimately lost to Representative <laughs> Underwood, 
just showed up for new member orientation. Player, <laughs> you didn't win. That, that, that's some white privilege right there for your ass to show up to new member orientation. I guess he had some extra time. He just wanted to hang out because your ass ain't a new member. You lost. So, so I'm an Illinois resident, and this is not my first time around the block seeing Over Weiss, who is a, a millionaire who owns his own dairy farms and you know all kinds of ice cream and other stuff. Um, Over Weiss, this is about his ninth time in six years running for something and getting mollywopped in the race. So, you know, Illinois knows Over Weiss well because he likes to run and never win. And in this case, because he saw what he thought was a window of opportunity um, in, in, the, in the Underwood race, where you have this black woman who didn't, in my opinion, did not get as much credibility as she should have during the midterms, because she literally flipped a historically red seat, a red district in Illinois blue. And that is something that is a huge deal. Because outside of the Chicago land area, the majority of Illinois is red. It just is what it is. So this young woman who comes in, she's stellar. She's she's literally a policy wonk. She's a health leader and educator. Um, and, and, you know, on the wings of a pandemic, really soared in that sense as well. You have this privileged white guy come through. And mind you, again, as an Illinois resident, I've seen him come through before. He's the guy who will bring chicken on 79th Street to give to the black people so that they will get out and vote for him. That is Overweiss. And this go round, he, you know, he had so much faith that he was actually going to unseat her. Republicans really funneled a lot of money into that seat because they wanted to see her gone. And push comes to shove on election day, it all fell apart. I think that what we're seeing in Overweiss is someone who wants to be Trumpian but doesn't have the, the goal or the people behind him to actually do it. He's somebody who doesn't want to admit defeat, which he should be used to because, hell, the man's been getting defeated for the past 10 years. He runs literally in every election. Uh, I, Gary, that, that, that's peak whiteness right there. You know, the, the real question is, did the people let him sit in? The Republicans, did the people, yeah. Did the people let him sit in? Because if you lost, cuz, you got to go home. I don't know. I don't, you, ain't got to, you, you ain't got to go home, but you can't be here because you didn't win the election. But I think that this is a, a window into the impact of Trump as well, right? You got a president who's refusing to concede. He's confused. He's he's refusing to admit that he's lost, right? And so here his homeboy, another rich white man, said, look, cuz, I'm coming. I'm coming through. I'm pulling up. Uh, and if the sisters say he runs over and over again and he's an older white man, what we see is another old white man who's just trying to say, I, I, can't, I, I can't let go. This is my time. This is my opportunity. He has wanted so long, clearly, to be elected, and now he feels like he's got this opportunity. Cuz just said, let me come to the orientation at least. Just let me come through to the orientation at least. Uh, Michael, that, that's just hilarious that you're just going to think you're just going to roll up there uh, in orientation. Dog, you, you, you ain't win, man. You, you ain't win. You ain't win, you lost. And so you, you're not going to get assigned to office. But I guess... I guess he has. I guess he has stuff to do for a couple of days. Well, brother, you know this is this is an example of white privilege. Now, what it happened? What, what do you think would have happened if a brother or sister showed up and they didn't win, and and, and they and and they, and they said they want to sit in on freshman orientation? But my question is, um, did so for the Republicans for freshman orientation? Uh, did they wear masks? That's that's what I want to know. 
Well, you know, well, they they've been talking about that, and one of the things that uh, that crazy fool out of Georgia. Uh, she said she stood up in the car and was like, this is about being freedom. Uh, why are we all having to wear masks? But her ass wore a mask walking in there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, yeah, once again, brother, this is, um, we see things like this. This reminds me of when um, governor, um, governor of Florida, the one before Ron DeSantis, um, and he ran for gov he ran for senator. And he, the, 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 the race had not been called yet, okay? And he showed up to uh, the Senate orientation. Now, he ended up winning, okay? This was in the 2018 midterm election, okay? Um, I forgot the, what, what was the uh, previous governor's name in Florida? Um, uh, Scott. Scott was not a senator. Yeah, Scott, Scott, yeah. So Scott ran for senator. Defeated the de defeated the Democrat, but when he showed up to the Senate for orientation, the race had not been called yet. Okay, but he showed up anyway. All right, and they let him sit in. Okay, so you know, brother, you know, watch whiteness works. This is this is uh, uh, you know this th we've seen this before, folks. There are congressional races that we're still looking at that have not been called. They're still counting the ballots. That one with Underwood it was a recent one. Go to my iPad, please. We've been watching this race out of North Carolina. Uh, Sherry Beasley, a sister, North Carolina State, she's the Chief Justice of the North Carolina State Supreme Court. Uh, this is an actual um, Democrat county, and apparently they have gone for the Republican. So Sherry Beasley is now down 498 votes there uh, in North Carolina. Republicans are desperate uh, to win a seat. Democrats had a 61 majority there. Uh, this, again, is one of those down-ballot races we pay attention to. She was one of the African-Americans uh, running statewide there in North Carolina. Again, so the latest count of these provisional ballots shows her down 498 votes. And so uh, it is coming down to the wire there. Not many left, and so we might be losing uh, that particular seat. Uh, again, Sherry Beasley, an African-American, was elected statewide there uh, in North Carolina. It's a race that we are absolutely watching and so paying lots of attention to. All right, folks, going to go to a quick break. We come back, our Education Matters segment. We're talking about peer-to-peer -peer counseling. That's next to Roller Martin Unfiltered. This younger group, you know, of millennials becoming much more politically savvy, much more politically activated and organized. Right. Organization is key. It's like, you know, an ant by itself can't do anything, but ants working together, you know, can do things well beyond their own capacity. And I think the same thing goes for this younger generation to become united and activized on what's happening. All right, so a lot of y'all always asking me about terms some of the pocket squares that I wear. Now, I don't know, Robert don't have one on. Nope. Now, I don't particularly like the white pocket squares. I don't like even the silk ones. And so I was reading GQ magazine a number of years ago, and I saw uh, this guy who had this, this pocket square here, and it looks like a flower. Uh, this is called a shibori pocket square. This is how the Japanese manipulate the fabric to create this sort of flower effect. So I'm going to take it out and then place it in my hand so you see what it looks like. And I said, man, this is pretty 
cool. And so I tracked down, the, it took me a year to find a company that did it. Uh, and so uh, they make these about 47 different colors. And so I love them because, again, as men, we don't have many accessories to wear. So we don't have many options. Uh, and so this is really a pretty cool uh, pocket square. Now, what I love about this here is you saw uh, when it's uh, in, in the pocket, you know, it gives you that flower effect like that. But if I wanted to also, unlike other, because if I flip it and turn it over, it actually gives me a different type of texture. And so therefore, it gives me a different look. So there you go. So uh, if you actually want to uh, get one of these Shibori pocket squares, we have them in 47 different colors. All you got to do is go to rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So it's rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares. All you got to do is go to my website uh, and you can actually uh, get this. Now, for those of you who are members of our Bring the Funk fan club, there's a discount for you to get our pocket squares. That's why you also got to be a part of our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, and so that's what we want you to do. And so it's pretty cool. So if you want to jazz your look up, you can do that. In addition, uh, y'all see me with some of the feather pocket squares. My sister who is a designer. She actually makes these. They're all custom made. So when you also go to the website, you can also order one of the customized uh, feather pocket squares uh, right there at rollingsmartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So please do so. And of course, uh, that goes to support the show. And again, if you're a Brenda Funk fan club member, you get a discount. This is why you should join the fan club. All right, folks, time for our Weekly Education Matters segment. Today, we look at Peer Forward. It's an organization that trains high school and college students to work with their peers to help them achieve their goals. Joining me now is Gary Lennon, CEO of Peer Forward. All right, Gary, glad to have, help, glad to have you on the show. So how are they helping them? So, I mean, how, how, does, how does this work? Sure. I mean, so I want to thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, our models are really, really simple in my mind, right? It's we, what we believe is that a 17-year-old is more inclined to listen to another 17-year-old at the end of the day. And so how do we leverage or harness that power of peer influence in order to be able to support individuals in that space? And so we train young adults who are the most influential ones in their school communities um, and have them be able to help their friends either get into college or get through college. So, and, and, and so this is really focusing on not necessarily what you're going to major in, but really uh, how do you survive the rigors of college? Can you repeat that? Sorry. I said, it's not, this is not really about what you're going to major in or your career. It's really about how to survive the rigors uh, of being away from home and getting through life now, probably for the first time on your own. Yeah, exactly. You know, what we feel is like individuals have the tenacity in order to be able to get through. But one of the major barriers that stops an, individu an individual from graduating, it's about the community that's not being built. And so when you have the ability to go ahead and find individuals that are just like you, that are going through the same experiences just like you, these individuals are much more inclined to be able to graduate, want to be able to stay because they've now been able to identify themselves with other individuals around them to be able to build that community and ultimately <coughs> graduate. And so how many, how many folks have you had go through this program thus far? Sure. So we've been around for almost 25 years. We've had the opportunity to work with over 350,000 students wow. across the country. It's a national organization that uh, started in Washington, D.C. in a community center by our former co-founders. And we've had the opportunity then from there to be able to grow, to be able to support individuals in New York, 
California, Florida, and uh, Texas. I mean, even in the hills of Kentucky and West Virginia. Our goal is about working with um, low-income, underprivileged, you know, minority students across uh, the board to make sure that they can actually have a chance to fight with everyone else. It's about leveling the playing field. All right, I've got some questions from my panelists. I'll go to Amisha Cross first. Amisha, what's your question for Gary? Well, first and foremost, I'm thankful that you mentioned that community aspect. When people think about college, they often think that there are higher dropout rates or a significant dropout rate from uh, populations of color because of finances. And we know that, you know, anybody who's worked in education, and I have, knows that when you do that, you're, you're discounting the fact that community really matters. Um, as a first-generation college student, I know that it was me going to a PWI and knowing how much I had to do to focus in and get that level of understanding and trust that wasn't necessarily there for me. Um, when we're going to this next, you know, this next generation of college students, and you see so many students who have this reinvigorated love or are paying closer attention to HBCUs, what do you say to those students who are still, um, who are still, you know, receiving higher financial aid funding and things from PWIs? And I've counseled several of those. So it wasn't that they didn't want to go to an HBCU. It was that they got more funding from a state school that happened to be a PWI. What do you tell those students who are going to be walking into a classroom and a culture that's very different from the neighborhood school that they graduated from? You know, you raise a great point. I mean, as an individual, I went to Cornell University, which is obviously one of the, you know, a huge PWI, um, one of the best uh, schools in the country. And But I came from Harlem, New York, you know, where everybody that I looked around was just like me. They looked like me, they talked like me, they worked like me, we, they walked like me. Um, and in going into there, there was a significant cultural uh, disparity that we've, uh, that I encountered. So anybody that's looking to go into any type of school, and truth be told, let's be very clear, whether you go into an HBCU or a PWI, it's still about a cultural fit, regardless of your skin color of it. So you need to make sure that any school that you're going to, you feel comfortable enough to feel like you have the adequate resources, the adequate support that you're going to need, because college is not easy at all. There's days where you're going to say, you know what, why am I doing this? But if you don't have the adequate resources and you feel as if you're not connected to the community, then that's not the right fit. So make sure that you're doing your homework beforehand. Go to the campus. Talk to the individuals that are there. And if it works for you and they have the adequate resources, that's the type of one that you need. Because we recognize that financial aid is still a barrier for many of us that come from low-income communities for certain. And while PWIs give a lot of money, it doesn't mean that they're giving you all the money that's available to you. That's why we have scholarships that are available. Michael. But do your due diligence and making sure that you go out. Michael Imhotep. Yeah, um, well, number one, I, I congratulate you on what you're doing. Um, when I used to do educational consulting, I, I would go into high schools and I was doing educational consulting um, for a local community college here in Detroit. And we were uh, promoting dual enrollment. So I was wondering if um, I, I know a lot of times it's hard to, to keep uh, high school students engaged, especially if they're working on the weekends or working at night, things like that. Um, is dual enrollment uh, something that you all participate in or or push at all? And those that may not know, uh, dual enrollment means when you're in high school, you can also take classes at a local community college. And a lot of times uh, school districts will have agreements with community colleges. So when a, ch when a child graduates from high school, they can also graduate with associate's degree, up to an associate's degree from a community college. So 100% I promote it. Well, what has been, what, what have been like the results 
uh, uh, of it dealing with dual enrollment and maybe what are some of the um, one one of the things that we one of the things that we did was to help um, high school students uh, also get into different programs or figure out what they wanted to do, what, what they wanted to major in in college. So w w what are some, maybe some of the hot fields that you're directing um, uh, your participants toward? To sure, thank you uh, for that question. So in reference to dual enrollment, I definitely recommend at the fact that it's college credits for free. Yeah. Go for yeah. it. You want to make sure that you're leveraging that as much as you can, because as we know, college in general is expensive for many individuals um, in this respect. And if you can get anything for free earlier on, it allows you to be able to graduate earlier. Uh, interesting uh, fact that everybody needs to understand is that individuals from low-income communities are graduating by the age of 26. There are only 12% of individuals that are graduating by the age of 26. We have an issue within this country. And that's because of the financial barriers. That's because of the cultural fit. That's because of individuals not being selected to the right college. So mm -hmm. anytime that you get the chance to go ahead and, and minimize that financial gap, I tell you to take advantage of it. Some of the interesting fields that people are going into, uh, you know, when we're talking with students, they love see it. They love anything around forensic science. They're loving anything within the STEM field. That is the hot area. Right. Technology is really, really big. You'd be surprised at how many of our young folks I mean, for us that are older, you know, I'm always having an issue on my computer. Ask me to ask my nephew to fix something, he fixes it in two seconds, and he's never been trained in it. So STEM and technology are hot fields that I recommend everyone to go into because that's the wave of the future. Thinking about AI, thinking about, and then some of our legacy things. When you're thinking about the medical field, obviously in light of COVID and everything else, we need more uh, nurses, we need more doctors, we need individuals in the healthcare field to be able to support uh, individuals that are actually graduating and getting older and they need that actual care. All right, Gary. So I think the program is phenomenal and, and uh, thank you for, for what you're doing. I guess I wanna know how do you select the peers, right? What is the process that you go through in selecting the peers and then how do you then train and develop them to have the skills necessary uh, to help each other through this process? Sure, great question. So for us, it's not about academics. We believe um, that the most influential person, as I mentioned earlier, is your friend. So we look at, it could be that person that's walking down the hallway, that could be the class clown, but it's individuals that talk and people listen to. It could be something that they wear that people are watching. Who are the individuals that actually impact their friends um, that people want to make sure uh, to move with? So we leverage those young folks in order to be able to create a movement. So we train them each summer at a, a, a college workshop where they get the chance to build up on their leadership skills. They learn this ideology about how do you go from self to service? How do you not stop thinking about yourself anymore? And how do you make sure that you're saying, how do I change my own community? So I learned that piece. I learned about financial aid. I learned about the different components of um, the college application process. We hire the most skilled college counselors that normally individuals in the top quartile, they're paying three, $400 an hour for. Our students get it for free. So they, get, they learn all the tactics that have already been uh, dismantled and not given to all of our public school systems. So now that we've been part of that information on them, they're directly responsible for going and helping their friends to be able to do it. All right then. Gary, how can people get more information? Where can I get more information? Sorry. How can I get more information on your organization? Where to yeah, go? So please, um, if 
anyone, uh, you can find us at www.peerforward.org. That's P-E-E-R-F-O-R-W-A-R-D.org. Um, definitely please go ahead and follow us. Uh, we have a huge uh, following that's happening at the high school and the college level across the country. Uh, we were formerly known as College Summit, so all of our College Summit former legacy folks, you know exactly who we are. Please reach out. We would love to go ahead and support you all. Uh, of course, it never go wrong with Cornell, of course, that being where Alpha Phi Alpha was founded. So, uh, you know, I'm just saying. Yeah, of course. <laughs> That's how it is. Sorry, Michael M. Hotel. Y'all sigmas. I knew you were going to work that in. Y'all sigmas don't get a shout out. All right, Garrett, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. appreciate it. All right. All right, folks. Uh, today, remember the life and legacy of former Ghanaian President Jerry Rawlings, who died Thursday at the age of 73. He died in a hospital in Accra, the country's capital, after battling with an undisclosed illness. Ghana's current president, Nana Akufo-Addo, said in a statement, quote, a great tree has fallen and Ghana is poor for this loss. Before Rawlings became Ghana's democratic elected president, he was a flight, he was a flight lieutenant who seized control of the country twice in military coups he led in 1979 and 1981. He rallied against corruption and was responsible for executing several former heads of state for their roles in mismanaging the country. After becoming the country's longest-serving leader, Rawlings stepped down in 2001. He, however, continued to stay active politically. He served in various international diplomatic posts, including his position as the African Union's representative in Somalia. Ghana will hold a week of mourning to remember and honor his life and legacy. Uh, thoughts, Michael Imhotep? You know, um... It was a shock when I heard that um, former President Jerry Rollins passed away. I saw um, uh, the article from FaceToFaceAfrica.com. I saw the article from uh, uh, the Washington Post, New York Times. And back in, I, I actually met um, uh, former President Jerry Rollins back in, it, it was the late 90s. It was for the National Black NBA Association. And it was, I think it was the late 90s, late 90s, early 2000, one of them. Um, but their national conference was here in Detroit, okay? And also at that conference, I think it was at that one where I, I first met Dr. Julian Malvo as well. Um, and one of the accomplishments, I think, of um, Jerry Rollins was that when we looked at Ghana, it, it, it had a stable government, a stable economy. OK, because you had different African nations that were in turmoil, but uh, Ghana was one that had a uh, the Ghana was one that we looked at. It wasn't perfect, but we looked at it as some type of stability. And Jerry Rollins was um, President Jerry Rollins at the time. It was somebody who um, we looked at and, and admired. OK. And if I remember correctly, back at that time, there was some type of relationship between Jerry Rollins and the Congressional Black Caucus as well. Um, you, you may know more about that, uh, Roland, but I, I remember uh, uh, something about that as well. But there was it was uh, it was a shock um, that it happened. And uh, in reading the article from The Washington Post and maybe you have an update, it also said that uh, no cause of death has been released yet as well. Is that correct, Roland? Yeah. Yep, no cause. Okay, no no cause of death. Yeah. So once again, it's it, it's a big loss, and uh, I think he's somebody who we really need to study. And then he that ties into Kwame Nkrumah, nineteen fifty seven, uh, first president of Ghana. Ghana wins his independence from the British, and then that ties into Kwame Nkrumah ties into Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. because uh, 
when when Ghana celebrated their independence, Dr. King went to Ghana uh, for the celebration, and he returned on the anniversary of their um, independence as well each year. Uh, Dr. King was somebody who studied um, the movements on the continent of Africa mm -hmm. also. Uh, folks, tomorrow is the so-called Million MAGA March. Any of y'all plan on being here? <laughs> uh, Gary, Gary I, came, I came into the building, so the security guard in our building uh, is, uh, security guard in our building is um, uh, an African, uh, he's a brother from Africa, and he's a big-time Donald Trump supporter. Uh, and I've been weighing his ass out every day. I come in, your boy lost! <laughs> your boy lost! And so he had the nerve, he had the nerve to ask me, y'all want to get that shot fixed, please? Thank you very much. He had the nerve to ask me, was I going to be at the rally tomorrow? I'm like, man, you lost your damn mind. <laughs> Tell me well, I, don't, I, I doubt if they're going to get a million people to show up tomorrow either, uh, because the gas running out of the car rolling. I just don't think that they realize it yet, you know? Uh, even though you have uh, so many people that have voted for Trump, uh, they have lost. And, and I think that this is, you know, if you want to go have a funeral, go have a funeral. You want to have a wake out there and, and mourn the loss of the election? Go ahead. Call us all the names you want to call us. Talk about all of the ways you're oppressed and are hurt in the country. And talk about all of this white privilege that you're so mad is going to uh, be diminished in some capacity because there's a black woman that's going to be the vice president of the United States of America. You're going to have to deal with it whether you want to or not. So have your funeral tomorrow. You know that's what Saturday morning is from, right, bro? <laughs> uh, Amisha, go ahead. Oh, that summed it up perfectly. No, I mean, we, we have to go back and look at the election here as well. You, D.C. had the largest variant against Trump of any place in the country. What was it, like 94%? Like, you, you can't... This isn't South Carolina. This isn't Alabama. This isn't Arkansas good luck in having a million-person march of white supremacy down the streets of D.C. Again, like, I know that he is trying to get his base riled up and still show them that he has some fight within him, but the battle is lost. And as previously stated, I think it's time for that, for that funeral, however he decides to do it. But tomorrow is going to be a very interesting day in D.C. And I think, you know, Roland, there's more than likely going to be a counter-protest as well. All of those people who are out celebrating on election night and the, day and the days after aren't just going to go home quietly knowing that there is literally a white supremacist rally happening in less than 24 hours. Uh, Michael, go ahead. You know, uh, I posted about this yesterday uh, on my Facebook pages. And originally I said, I hope they take deep breaths and don't wear masks. But I took that post down because I didn't think maybe <laughs> that's politically correct. <laughs> but brother, this is going to be a super spread event. But then today it was reported that Donald Trump may possibly show up at the event. OK, so uh, black people uh, wear your mask. And I mean, the counter protest, if you wanted to have a counter protest, that's fine. Be far away from these people. Because you're going to see uh, there's going to be a surge of uh, coronavirus cases if any of these people leave in, D leave in, live in D.C. or the surrounding area, area. And where they go back to, there's going to be a surge in coronavirus cases, an increase over what's taking place right now. OK, now I'm not sure how many people are going to show up. OK, uh, but, but whoever shows up, a lot of them will go catch coronavirus. And once again, brother, you know, hey, this is the chickens coming back home to roost. This is karma. 
You 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 put this evil out, it's gonna come back and consume you. And this this is what's taking place right now. Well, folks, uh, tomorrow we are going to be, excuse me, on Monday we're going to be talking about, uh, of course, uh, the mysterious case of a young black boy out of Louisiana, uh, who's, uh, of course, uh, who died. So we'll be talking about that on Monday. But first, I'm going to do this here. Uh, yesterday, I got to give a shout out, my nephew Christopher. Uh, yesterday was his 13th birthday, and so uh, this is a photo of him. Uh, his mama actually, when I grew up in our family chat, his mama tried to say uh, uh, he's no longer a baby. Uh, I'm like, no, nah, I call him little baby because he's still shorter than me. Uh, this is a photo uh, we took uh, at, um, at, at, at the family house when I was visiting uh, last in October when I came, went to uh, Dallas and vote. So shout out to Chris. Uh, so his birthday was yesterday. Uh, and so uh, my brother's birthday, Reginald Martin, y'all can go to the video. He turned 52 today. This is a video from uh, his birthday three years ago. Uh, and so, uh, so he's 53 years old today. Uh, and of course, I'll be 52 tomorrow. My birthday is tomorrow. Uh, and so, yeah. Now, now clearly, if any of y'all know how to do the math, uh, that means that uh, our families uh, were getting a freak on on, uh, on Valentine's Day. Just do the math. It's nine months exactly. <laughs> it's nine months exactly. Uh, and so, again, so congratulations to my nephew Christopher on his 13th birthday, to my brother Reggie on his 53rd birthday, which is today. And, of course, my 52nd birthday is tomorrow, November 14th. Folks have been asking me, Amisha, Gary, uh, and Michael, they're like, what you doing for your birthday? I'm like, hell, I got two speeches, so I'll be on a couple of Zooms tomorrow. So, you know, I, I, I believe in cash and checks uh, on birthday. Uh, and so I'll be doing I'll be doing that tomorrow. Uh, I will not be, uh, I can guarantee y'all, uh, I can guarantee you, Amisha, uh, Michael, and y'all, pull the panel up. Y'all are slow. Come on. Damn. Come on. Lord have mercy. I don't say look, y'all, there's a cue. When I say the panelist's name, that means you to pull a panelist up. That's my way of having to say it to give you a cue. Now, damn it, I ain't gotta do it three times, so y'all gotta wake up in there. So uh so I'm not gonna uh, trust me, I'm not gonna be at the MAGA event uh tomorrow, wasted uh my breath and so uh, if y'all want to do something for my birthday, my brother and my nephew, I want y'all to support Roller Martin Unfiltered. Let me give you the number. So my, uh, so Kenan sent me this here. Remember, our goal, our target goal was to have 20,000 of our fans by the end of the year who support our show. Uh, he sent me a note today. Right now, we have 14,915 folks who are members of our Bring the Funk fan club. So you might ask, okay, but what's the big deal? Okay, why, why do you need 20? Because here's the piece. Uh, if that means that, so this is all about us being able to fund the show, about us being able to do the sort of things that we know are necessary uh, in order to, uh, to build this and grow this, to be able to extend the show, to do more, to get more resources. And so look, our target, we said, if, if, so if 5,085 remaining people give on average 50 bucks each to the show, that generates $254,250. And the bottom line is this here. This allows us to continue doing this. Let, let's just be real clear. Ain't nobody else doing this in the digital space, okay? Y'all saw this on election night. BET, they were showing CBS coverage. TV One, they were showing old movies. OWN, they were showing some shows as well. Bounce. Aspire, Clio TV, I can go down the line, BT Her, I can go down the line, all of them. 
We have got to be able to inform our people with news and information. We got enough damn black entertainment out there to last us from now until eternity. But when people say, well, I wish we knew about that, then you gotta have a place that does that. There are so many people, uh, folks who watch us, who listen to us, who watch the show, our numbers are increasing because we, this is about informing our people. Uh, we are planning right now, folks, I'm, I'm literally working on the plan right now. Are we gonna be on the ground in Georgia, going to uh, those cities, going to Savannah, going to Columbus, going to Augusta, going to uh, Albany, going to Atlanta, going to those places, going to Gwinnett County, going to Fulton County, covering the issues, speaking to our people, covering what Until Freedom is doing, covering what Black Voters uh, Matter is doing. That is what we are doing. And this is also about us knocking down the disinformation. But we have to understand, and all my panelists understand this here, Black people have been targeted with massive amounts of disinformation, and Gary, Black men have been targeted. I have done, I mean, I don't know about you, uh, uh, Gary and Michael, how much work have y'all done knocking down BS spewing out of the mouth of brothers who have been just fed uh, this constant disinformation uh, in, during this election season? Oh, brother, I've done a lot. Um, everything from uh, breaking down Joe Biden's uh, agenda, his Lift Every Voice agenda, because I talked to a lot of people. I did this on my show, and I actually showed it to people. A lot of people didn't know it existed. It came out May 4th, 2020, okay? But then also, I went through and fact-checked a lot of this BS floating around about uh, Senator Kamala Harris, soon to be Madam Vice President Kamala Harris, okay? Dealing with a prosecutorial record. Uh, you had, uh, and, and one of the things, you, you had Shereen Mitchell on this show, um, and one of the things about the memes that float around on social media is that the algorithms from Facebook can't detect the con can't detect the content of the memes. Whereas if people just type a message, the algorithms can detect the content. So the the, the meme I'll wrap up with this: the meme that talks about her uh, prosecuting or locking up 1,500 black men for marijuana. Okay, well that largely came from. Uh, Representative Tulsi Gabbard on the debate stage and talking about uh, she prosecuted and locked up 1,500 people for marijuana. But she did not mention race or gender. Right. So how, how did 1,500 people become 1,500 black men? But when you fact check that, right, Tulsi Gabbard, she misrepresented right. marijuana cases because those were, the majority of them were handled by local prosecutors Got it. who were elected and not handled by her, the state attorney general. But again, that's, that, it's just so much different disinformation, Gary. I know yeah. you've been battling that too. All the time, and happy birthday to you, black man. I wish yeah. you many more. Thanks, uh, sir. Happy birthday. We have been uh, fighting this every single day, uh, and we're going to keep pushing against it because 82% of black men handle their business, and ain't no other race of men did that. That's right. That's right. And Amisha, again, we're going to see a whole bunch of this in these two Senate races in Georgia. We absolutely are. Um, Republicans saw that their little conspiracy campaigns and, you know, being able to plant seeds of disdain in the heads of black men actually worked. They more than doubled what they had last go round. And I don't think that that's going to go down any. They know that they can't move black women, but Republicans are steadfast in their belief that they can shift over black men. And because this Georgia race is going to be so tight, they only need to win within the margins 
to basically take control of the Senate all over. So folks, we want you to support what we do because we're all about fighting that disinformation, feeding correct, vital information to our people. You can support us via Cash App, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered, paypal.me forward slash rmartinunfiltered, venmo.com forward slash rm unfiltered you can also send a money order to new vision media in you vision media inc 1625 k street northwest suite 400 washington dc 2006 all right folks we always end the show on friday showing our bring the funk fan club members we certainly appreciate it uh gary michael and amisha thank you so very much folks uh it is time to go thank you very much uh i will see you guys uh on monday I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at FisherHomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.